Welcome to training from Scott Ross Online. Scott Ross is a highly sought after and internationally acclaimed personal development and leadership coach who speaks to more than 50,000 people a year. The same strategies he's taught top executives are available to you through programs like this one. We encourage you to take notes and listen to this audio multiple times for maximum results. And now, here's Scott. Good afternoon, everybody, and welcome to the Scott Ross Leadership Podcast. I appreciate you guys taking time out of your busy week to invest in yourself and to raise your leadership lid. We do this call or podcast every single week, and uh, you can subscribe to the podcast both through iTunes and through Google Play. All you need to do is go to scottrossonline.com. That's scottrossonline.com, and you will find the links to be able to subscribe on whatever mobile device you prefer to use. Uh, If you have any questions about that, there's also an FAQ section out there to help you subscribe to the podcast so you get automatic updates. We are in the midst of a series called Lies That Leaders Tell Themselves, and we have done two parts to this series already. In the first part, we covered three lies that were, it'll get better, the lie that says I have the wrong people and the lie that says, even though this particular person is disruptive to my culture, their talent makes them untouchable. Then last time we covered three more lies and they were, I'm a great listener. I'm not here to make friends and it's my people's fault. And so today we're going to conclude the series. We're going to go through three more lies that leaders tell themselves. If you have a paper and pen handy, I recommend you take notes so that you get the maximum value out of this and you can go back and review these later on. With that said, let's just dive right in to the seventh lie in the series. And that lie says they should know that leaders are thinking that to themselves all the time, man, they should know that. Man, I can't believe they made that mistake. I can't believe that they didn't do X, Y, or Z. I mean, they should know to do that. Uh, Parents say this about their children all the time. And this is a lie that is insidious for a number of reasons. First of all, let's just cover a a principle in leadership. And the principle is that your new blood is the lifeblood. So we should always remember that it's the new people that really matter to our organization. It's the new people that really are essential to the development and the furthering of our culture within our team and with our organization. And so everything we do should be oriented to helping grow our new people and putting our new people in a position to succeed. And so knowing that, we should be in repetition mode of all of the core principles and the core truths that we want our team to know and understand and embody. Repetition is the mother of learning. And when we see someone not doing something that we think that they should have known, it probably means that we have stopped repeating something because we think we've said it enough. Write this down. I can never say the truths of my organization enough. Whatever is core to what you do, whatever is critical to your system, to your operational method to your SOP, whatever you want to call it, whatever is true about that, you can never say enough. I joke all the time that my team thinks that I'm stupid. They think, man, that poor guy, Scott, he just, 
only has a few words in his vocabulary because if you hang around me doing what I do for very long, you're going to hear me say the same things over and over and over again. I'm a broken record. And the reason I'm a broken record is you can never say the important things enough. You can never introduce the foundational principles enough. You can never repeat the keys to success enough because repetition is the mother of learning. And I'm constantly aware that there might be a brand new person that has never heard it before. And if they're around me, I want them to have heard it. Remember that a chain is only as strong as its weakest link. Where are your weakest links going to be? They're going to be in your new people. So the first reason this lie gets to be insidious is that it forgets about how critical the new person is and the fact that when they're new, by definition, they're not going to have heard any of these things before. We have to repeat them again and again and again as if they've never been said because to the new person, they haven't ever been said. They've never heard it before. We've got to be the leader that introduces it to them. Now, the second reason this gets insidious is go back to part two of this series, the episode we did previous to this one, and go listen to the lie that says, it's my people's fault. If your people don't know something, or if by their actions, it seems as if they don't know something, that is not on the people. That is on you, the leader. Everything ultimately is your responsibility. I, as the leader, have to own the outcome. And if they didn't do something, I can't say, oh my gosh, they should have known that. What what is wrong with you? What is wrong with them? Because ultimately, that's on me. Whenever I encounter people not doing something that seems to me like an obvious thing to do, in my flesh, don't get me wrong, I'm not perfect. Sometimes I have this reaction, oh my gosh, I can't believe, oh my. But you know what I have to do immediately is I immediately go, whoa, 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 whoa. That's on you, bro. That's on you. And I start to ask myself these questions. Where did communication break down? Where did I let this person down with my communication? Where did I drop the ball? Where is the system broken? Is there some part of our system that we think is whole and actually it's broken? And when people reach that point, things break down. You know, one of the things I used to do uh, when I was an executive for a, a corporation was that with our salespeople, one of the things that that immature leaders do, especially around making their number within an organization, when I refer to making your number, it's hitting your revenue targets. You know, a lot of times you have salespeople and they're not hitting their revenue target and you just think, oh my gosh, I have the wrong salespeople. Oh my gosh, they don't know what to do. But re- the reality is, is that missing the revenue target actually can take place at a whole bunch of different spots in the process. And we used to go back and analyze, okay, How good are we at getting the appointment? And then how good are we at, once we get the appointment, getting uh, uh, effective messaging in that first appointment? And then are we able to get the follow-up appointment? Then how good are we at qualifying our deals? And we just would break it down. And what we would find is there would become a place in our process that all of our deals were falling apart. And we would say that is the point in the process where it's broken. If my people are dropping the ball, I've got to say to myself, is there a systemic issue here? Where is the system broken? And it's my job to investigate 
investigate that, interrogate that, and fix that problem and make sure that the breakdown does not continue to occur. You know, a good question is what needs to happen in the future to make sure this doesn't happen again? We do a lot of meetings and a lot of events in my business, and you know we need those meetings to go a certain way. And sometimes you'll encounter some a meeting or an event, and you're like, "Oh my gosh, this event was a soup sandwich." I mean, it just nothing was exactly the way that we know it needs to be to have success. Well, that's on me. What what do I need to do in the future to make sure this kind of meeting never takes place again? Just start to ask yourselves these sorts of powerful questions about the breakdown in communication and the breakdown in the process. Another thing to understand when you're when you're finding yourself as a leader telling this lie to yourself of, "Oh my goodness, the people should have known this," is to understand that there is a gap between knowing and doing. I mean, we all know this to be true, don't we? There's a gap between knowing what to do and doing what you're supposed to do. And don't ever confuse the lack of doing for a lack of knowing. You know, if you encounter someone in your organization and they seem to not know what to do, this is an opportunity as a leader. It's an opportunity to coach It's an opportunity for growth because perhaps they do know what to do, but they're not actually doing it. And we want to investigate why that is taking place. Do they lack the confidence in pulling it off? Are they telling themselves some sort of lie of why they don't need to do it or why they can't do it, why they're incapable of doing it the way that they were taught? These are things that we should understand because maybe that's a systemic problem as well. And then one of the big hurdles Let me say it another way. One of the major causes of not doing even when you know what to do is that there is a lack of why. When I often encounter anyone who's not doing what they know they should do, my first inclination is to investigate the why. Because when people know why they should do something, they typically act. And when they lack the why, the action is also lacking. Have you as a leader, have I as a leader done an adequate job conveying the why behind what we're teaching them to do? Because once they know the why and they understand the why and they buy into the why, They're going to begin to prioritize the action. But when they lack the why, they won't act. And this is true across every area of your life, every area of your people's lives. The why is essential to them taking action. So when it looks like they don't know what to do, make sure you're not confusing knowing with simply lack of doing couple other thoughts on this lie is that whenever you see this taking place in your organization, there is a lot of opportunity here to teach nuance. And what do I mean? Sometimes they may have the macro correct and the micro wrong. Let me give you an example. I mentioned that we do events. You know, one of the things that's important in our business to our events is music. It's very critical that we have really good music at our events. And 
sometimes I'll go into an event and they have music, but the music they have is all wrong. Well, we got the macro right, but we got the micro wrong. Now, sometimes an immature leader might go, oh my goodness, they should know we need music. Well, they did. They had music generally, but they didn't have the right kind of music. And so here we can go and delve into the nuance of what we're asking and make sure our expectations were clear. Go back to the episode we did on blaming your people. Remember, we have to own it. And if our expectations have not been adequately communicated, then that's on us. And then, of course, getting the why behind that nuance of what we're asking helps them to pull it off. And the last thing I would just say is this. In these moments when your people seem to be dropping the ball and they should, they're, they're, they're not doing something that you think they should know to do, something that you feel should be obvious, or they're doing something that is the opposite of what you would want them to do, are you taking advantage of these moments and coaching them? Or are you simply making secret judgments and criticisms of this person in your mind? A lot of times we have a person on our team within our organization and they aren't doing what we think they should be. It should be obvious for them to do. And we just, we just put them in a certain category in our mind. We're like, oh my, well, I mean, they clearly don't have it. They don't have the it factor. I mean, anybody worth their salt would have known what I'm looking for here. And we just start to secretly make these judgments. Let me just encourage you as a leader, do not do this. Go back to part one of this series. It's not going to magically get better on its own. And you've got a valuable team member Let's take advantage of these moments and coach them through it. Let's make sure we have not dropped the ball. Let's let this little failure not represent the person on our team, but represent the failure that we've had as our leadership, a failure in our system. And let's embrace that. Let's be like, oh my goodness, this is a great opportunity for us to improve as a team, improve as an organization and just get better and then coach them through it because you know what? When you coach them through it, first of all, they're going to start to perform better. But guess what they'll do with their people? They will do the same thing. They'll remember this coaching and they'll make sure they coach their people to not make the same mistake. So with that said, the lie, well, they should know that. Let's not tell ourselves this lie. Repetition is the mother of learning. Let's let's remember that ultimately we own the outcome. It's our fault if something's not going right. Let's ask powerful questions. Let's understand there's a gap between knowing and doing. Let's make sure we get the why right. Let's use these as opportunities to teach the nuance. And let's not make secret criticisms and judgments of people. Let's put it on us. And let's go back and, and take these opportunities to coach our people. With that said, let's dive into the the next lie I want to talk about in this series, and that is, well, people know I appreciate them. Uh, you know, I don't need to tell them. They know. No, they don't. They don't know. People need to feel appreciated and feel valued. And if you want to separate yourself as a leader from the masses, let me tell you the easiest way to do it. 
pour out appreciation on people because for the most part, they don't get it. You know, they don't get it from their spouse. They don't get it from their children. They don't get it from their boss. They don't, I mean, there's so many places in the world. They don't get it. They're volunteering at the church and the church never even says, thank you. They're volunteering at the children's, you know, um, at the, at the, at the, you know, nurse, nurse, nursery or the whatever. And they don't get told. Thank you. I mean, people just don't get appreciation. If you appreciate people, you will separate yourself in a huge way. You know, there's an old adage, people will work for money, but they will die for recognition. And one of the worst things we can do as a leader is just assume that people know how much we value them and assume that people know how much we appreciate them. Sometimes we get this weird ego thing where showing thanks and appreciation we feel like maybe is a weakness or makes us too, I don't know, mushy or, you know, touchy-feely. This is wrong. And in fact, the more uh, you are a type A personality, a real driven, task-oriented person, the more valuable your praise will be because the person that you're giving praise to is going to know, wow, they aren't even a real praise kind of guy or girl. They're kind of a hard driver and they took time to appreciate me. Wow, that's huge. I mean, that's going to do even more for that person. So, Tell your people how much you value them and be direct and be specific. Go beyond, hey, man, good job. Hey, I want you to know that the other day when you noticed X and it wasn't your job, but you went out of your way to do this, that just meant the world to me. That saved me so much thought energy, and that let me accomplish this other thing over here, and you have no idea how many people that impacted, all because you did this little thing right there, and I'm so grateful to have a guy that's on the team that has that level of conscientiousness. Thank you so much. Be direct. Be specific. Praise people in front of their peers. Public praise is huge. Don't do it just in private. Do it where other people see it being done. Fill up their oxygen tank by causing them to be esteemed by the people around them. And last, speak their love language as much as possible. Now, if you're not familiar with the five love languages, there's a book you can get called The Five Love Languages, and there's a test you can get online that you can have your people take of what their love language is. And, you know, you can't do this with every single person, but definitely the high-level lieutenants that you have in your organization, people you see as up and coming, it would be good to know their love language. There's five of them, quality time, words of affirmation, acts of service, gifts, and physical touch. And I would just say that as much as you can, use their love language. Um, you know, in the professional world, obviously physical touch is one where you have to be very appropriate. Um, but you know what? If somebody's love language is physical touch, a pat on the back or just shaking their hand, something super professional can still go a long way. But the other ones, quality time, you know, hey man, let's just go grab a cup of coffee. I want to hear what's on your heart, what's on your, what's on your mind. You know, the words of affirmation seems obvious is telling them specifically what they did and praising them, um, serving them, doing something for them. Uh, and of course, you know, little gifts. And again, these need to be appropriate as well. And it doesn't need to be anything big. I mean, you you know, it could be a, a book. Uh, man, I just had you in mind and I read this great book. I decided to pick you up a copy. Um, things like that can make a big, big difference in people's lives. So don't just 
tell yourself the lie that people know that you appreciate them. Make sure they feel appreciated. Be specific. Be direct. Do it in front of their peers and speak their love language to the degree that it's possible. And that leads to the last lie I want to talk about in this series, and that is the lie that says, well, that's not my job. That's not my job. This lie is pure and simple ego. That's all it is. It's an ego problem. It is this idea that there are things that are beneath you. And I want you to know there is never anything that is beneath a leader. Um, One of the television shows that I like to watch, and I don't watch a lot of television, but there's a television show I like to watch called The Prophet, P-R-O-F-I-T, and it's about this businessman, Marcus Lemonis, who um, he is kind of a self-made guy to the degree that that's a possibility, and he um, has become very, very financially successful. He runs a number of very successful businesses, and what he does is he goes into small businesses that are struggling, and he turns them around, and the show is about that process taking place, and one of the episodes was he gets invited in by this entrepreneur that had created her own line of professional industrial cleaning products. And uh, these industrial cleaning products had some things that were unique about them, such as the fact that they didn't have any chemicals in them and they were safe and uh, didn't in, in, you know create any allergy problems or whatever. So he goes in and this girl's best friend is the head of sales supposedly. And they go out on sales calls and one of their markets is selling to hotels. And so they go, Marcus, he has all these connections to hotels. So he sets up a meeting at this hotel and they go in and the sales pitch is terrible. I mean, this girl is a terrible salesperson, but at the end, the hotel's like, well, we'll get back to you. And Marcus steps in. He's let her kind of do her thing. And he just says, listen, what would it take to earn your business? And they confess, well, I'm not sure that this stuff really would get the job done. I mean, it doesn't have any of the cleaning uh, ingredients that we were would be used to since it's all natural. And he says, well, what can we clean right now that would show you that it gets something clean? Do you have a room we could clean? And they said, yes. And so they go up to this room and it was so funny to watch the quote salesperson who this is her business. This is her line of work and how she didn't want to get in the bathroom and clean. She didn't want to get in the toilet and clean. She, because it was beneath her. It was obviously beneath her. Meanwhile, Marcus, who is near billionaire status, who runs all these multi-million dollar corporations, he takes off his suit coat, his tie, he rolls up his sleeves, and he's in there scrubbing the toilet, scrubbing the shower, scrubbing the, the bottom of the tub with these products right in front of this hotel management staff. There was a dramatic difference right there, and that is the picture of true leadership Versus somebody who just wants to be put on a pedestal and treated like a leader. We as leaders can never say, that's not my job. The greatest leader in the history of the world was Jesus Christ. And 
It doesn't matter whether you're a Christian or not. The guy changed the world, and he said, I came to serve rather than to be served. And we all are familiar with the story of him washing the feet of his disciples. Why is that such a big deal? Because in the first century, everybody wore sandals, and they walked everywhere, and there was no running water. So you didn't bathe the way that we bathe today. And so you have stinky, sweaty feet in the heat of the Middle Eastern sun, getting covered in sand and mud and gook. It was not a pretty picture. And what is Jesus doing? He's taking off his outer garment. He's getting a basin of water. He's kneeling in the dirt and he's scrubbing all of this junk off of these people's feet. It was a very, very lowly task, but that's who he was. That's who we need to be as leaders. Check our ego at the door. Nothing is beneath us. Whatever needs to get done, we're willing to do it. However, quote, low we need to get in order to elevate our people and show them what leadership truly looks like, that's what we need to do. So don't ever tell yourself, that's not my job. There's one last lie that I want to cover in this series, and uh, I'm going to do it as its own episode next week, so you're going to want to tune in for that, but hopefully this has added value, guys. Just again, reviewing real quick, we've covered they should know that. People know that I appreciate them, and that's not my job. Let's not tell ourselves any of these lies. I encourage you, go back and review part one and part two. Listen to those lies again as well. If we can eliminate these nine lies from our vocabulary, we're going to elevate our leadership in a massive way, and we're going to see big, big results in our organization. With that said, guys, God bless you. Thank you so much for being here. I can't wait to be here again with you next week, elevating our lid. Until then, let's get it. Bye-bye. We hope you have enjoyed this audio program. For more resources to further your development as a world-class leader and for success strategies and tactics in all areas of your life, please visit scottrossonline.com. And be sure to connect with Scott on Facebook and Twitter using the ID at scottrossonline. 